You should be standing outside Green Park Tube Station. There are a couple of entrances to the station, and you want the one on Piccadilly, on the opposite side to the park. Piccadilly is the wide and busy road running beside you. If you're not on the right side of the street, just pause the tour for a second and press play when you're in the right place, in front of the station that's across the street from the park. Now find a spot where you're out of people's way. You're standing in Mayfair. Right here in this neighbourhood is the heart of London's intelligence community. See all these strangers going about their day. Any one of them could be a spy, and any one of them could be a terrorist. Any one of them could be a friend who's also working for the enemy. What if you knew a bomb was going to be detonated on this street tomorrow? How far would you go to try and stop it? How many phones would you tap? How many innocent people would you interrogate or arrest? It used to be my job to make these sorts of decisions. For a while, I was a spy, and I was part of this system that violates a few people's rights so that everyone else can be a little bit safer. The question I began to ask myself was, how far is it okay to go? My name's Annie Mashon, and I'm a former intelligence officer for MI5, the UK's domestic security agency. Today, you're going to discover what it takes to be a spy. Not everyone is suited to the job. I thought I was, but just like Edward Snowden, I quit and became a whistleblower. And like Snowden, I went on the run, pursued by my former colleagues. But before we get into all that, some housekeeping. To complete this detour, one of you, just one, must have a newspaper and a pen. This is not optional. One of you needs to be carrying paper and pen. If you need a paper, there are usually free ones right here next to the tube station. If not, there's a small shop inside the station where you can buy newspapers and pens. It's down those stairs and to your right. Put me on pause while one of you grabs both items, and when you get back here, press play again. Now you've got a newspaper and pen, it's time to get going. If you're standing with your back to Green Park Tube Station, turn to your right and start walking, keeping the busy main road on your left-hand side. There's a small street just in front of you. Cross over and continue straight ahead. Today, you'll be walking on some of the most storied streets in espionage history. During the Cold War, Mayfair was full of spies from both sides of the Iron Curtain. And I worked here myself in the 1990s, in secret government buildings or out on the streets, training recruits. Today, I'll be training you. So be warned, you and your companions won't always be together on this detour. There's a set of traffic lights in front of you. When you reach them, turn right and keep walking. Once you're around the corner, look over to your left as you walk to the building with brown wrought iron lattices across its windows. In the 1990s, that was a secret MI5 building. My old office, in fact. You might wonder what went on in there. I'll find a place to stop on the sidewalk, and I'll tell you. From here, you have a good view of my office. Look up to the second floor, to the row of windows running across the front of the building. I used to run a small team just in there. If I close my eyes, I can still see the brown carpets and lime green walls. It was a run-down old place, but from inside those dilapidated rooms, I could snoop on anyone in the country. Look around this street. On the government's behalf, I could have had anyone here bugged, or I could have them followed for weeks. I could even get someone to go through their bins. I was 22 years old, and I was deciding whose lives the government should turn upside down for the greater good.
you might wonder who my targets were. Surely terrorists or at least criminals. Not quite. As you face the building, turn to your right and start walking down the street. So whose phone calls was I listening to when I worked in that office? The simple answer is anyone whose political views MI5 did not like. And in 1991, this meant people with socialist-leaning views. The Cold War had just ended, but my superiors were still terrified of communists. After all, they cut their teeth hunting for Soviet agents, sometimes from amongst their own ranks. Keep walking straight ahead down this narrow sidewalk until you reach the end of this street. So, even though the Cold War was over, MI5 still investigated anyone politically active on the far left. The so-called Reds under the bed. We had files on politicians, celebrities, even schoolchildren. At one point, a young lad wrote to the Communist Party of Great Britain asking for help with a class project. MI5 intercepted that letter and had the boy marked down as a communist sympathiser. Everyone in my team knew this was overkill, completely over the top. But according to our senior officers, this schoolboy was a threat to the nation. This was partially due to the excessive paranoia of career spies. But it was also about petty bureaucracy. The more communists we identified, the more power and resources our department received. I should add that by this point, even the Communist Party itself was no threat. They were such a shambles that we knew more about their finances than they did. There's a black and white zebra crossing ahead on your left. When you reach it, cross over and then stop on the little island between the two crossings. So don't go over the second zebra crossing, just the first one. Okay, you should be safely across the road. Now, stay where you are and look across the street. Beyond the second zebra crossing, you can see a large, cream-coloured office with the words 1 Curzon Street written on the glass above a bank of revolving doors. In the 1990s, this was the secret headquarters of MI5. I used to work up on the second floor, to the right of the big central windows that run down the middle of the building. I was on the Irish terrorism desk, doing the sort of work I'd actually joined MI5 to do, stopping attacks on British soil. Even so, we'd hear the occasional sound of an IRA bomb exploding somewhere in London. It was because of the bombs that MI5's presence here had to remain a secret. But everyone knew what this place was. In the summer, open-top tour buses would rattle along this street, and from inside the office you would actually hear the tour guides telling their audience to look to their right and see Britain's spies at work. So even tourists who'd been in the country all of two days knew we were in here. As you face 1 Curzon Street, you'll see a zebra crossing in front of you. Cross over there, and when you get to the other side, turn left and start walking. Despite the valuable work MI5 was doing to combat terrorism, we still wasted a lot of time on so-called left-wing subversives who wouldn't hurt a fly. We were trespassing in their lives for no public benefit, invading their privacy, even though they committed no crimes and probably never would. For an idealistic 22-year-old, it was crushing to find out that we'd hardly moved on from the Cold War. The government was still spying on people for their legitimate political views. Take the next right-hand turn. Once you're around the corner, keep on walking. You're on Clarges Street, a quiet road that's the setting for a fictional story and a symbolic truth about intelligence agencies the world over. 
the stories from a spy novel written in the 1900s in the lead-up to the First World War. The book was called Spies of the Kaiser. It told the story of a German secret agent who lived here on this street. He was simply known as the Baron, and who knows, perhaps he lived in the smart black townhouse straight ahead of you. Stop on the corner opposite that house. You should be standing at the end of Clarges Street, opposite the black house where the Baron of Clarges Street might have lived. The Baron and his fictional colleagues were part of a wave of spy novels that were published in the lead-up to World War I. These books convinced the public that Britain was crawling with German agents. The country became gripped by a spy mania, a national paranoia. Newspapers shrieked, people demanded action from the government, and eventually MI5 was founded. In truth, there weren't many German spies in Britain at all, let alone deadly aristocrats living in gorgeous Mayfair townhouses. The point is, intelligence agencies get their legitimacy from having an enemy to fight. So it's in their interest to find a threat around every corner. The longer the list of enemies, the more powers are handed to the spies and the bigger their budget. And who draws up that list of enemies? Well, it's the spies themselves, of course. Now, facing the Baron's black house, turn to your left and start walking. In front of you, the path narrows to a small alley. Keep following it until you reach the street at the other end. Very soon after I started at MI5, I realised I was fighting a non-existent enemy. But it wasn't my work targeting political activists that compelled me to blow the whistle. No, the event that made me quit, that made me give up my career as a spy, came a few years later. It was an attempt by the British government to kill Libyan dictator Colonel Gaddafi. It sounds like another spy novel, but it had very real consequences. When you reach the street at the end of this alley, turn left. So, it's left out of the alley and continue along this street. My partner and I heard about the plan to kill Gaddafi in 1996. It was an MI6 operation. They wanted to pay an extremist group to carry out the assassination. Effectively, they were using known terrorists linked to Al-Qaeda as a hit squad. I know what on earth could possibly go wrong. And of course, it did go very wrong indeed. And that was when I made the biggest decision of my life. You'll hear more about it later in the walk. For now, continue to the end of this street. It's time to leave my spy story and enter one of your own. We're going to see if you've got what it takes to do my old job. Stop here on this street corner. In front of you, you can see a black and white zebra crossing. In a moment, you're each going to cross the road there. For now, find a spot that's out of the way and listen carefully to my instructions. I shall say this only once. You're about to complete a fieldwork training exercise. It's based on a real case from back in the Cold War, but how it ends will be up to you. Before you begin, there are two things I need to tell you. Number one, there are two different roles for this exercise. There's the spy and the spy catcher. Whoever is carrying the newspaper and the pen is the spy. The other person is the spy catcher. So, newspaper and pen equals spy. Hands-free equals spy-catcher. Oh, and if there's more than two of you, you can split the group how you please, so long as there's at least one spy and one spy-catcher. OK, the second thing. Spy and spy-catcher will be taking different paths, so you need to take your audio out of sync. This is easy to do. 
While I talk, each of you needs to open your phone and tap the sync button on your screen. It's the one that looks like little people. Tap that and choose the leave group option. Press pause while you each do this and make sure you all press play again at the same time. So go on, press pause now and take your audio out of sync. Okay, you should all be out of sync. If there's just two of you, well done, you're ready for the training exercise and you can ignore the next 20 seconds. But if there's more than two of you, listen closely because there's one more step. If there's more than one spy, then you guys need to be in sync with each other. And if there's more than one spy catcher, then the spy catchers also need to be in sync with each other. The training exercise you're about to do involves stealth and precision, so it's vital that you're hearing the same audio as your fellow officers. So put me on pause while the spies get in sync with their fellow spies and the spy catchers get in sync with their fellow spy catchers. Just tap the sync button again to join up. Hit pause now while you do this and make sure you all press play again at the same time. Sorted? Give each other a thumbs up so you know you're hearing the same thing. Okay, you're about to set off, but for now, stay where you are. I'm about to give you some directions. The spy, newspaper in hand, will cross the zebra crossing and turn right before immediately turning left down a small alleyway. The spy catcher will cross at the zebra crossing, but turn left and walk along the sidewalk. Off you go. Start walking and don't stop until you hear further instructions. I'll brief each of you on your roles once you're on your own. Keep walking into the center of this small courtyard. Just past the two red phone boxes, there's a set of benches. They curl round an old black lamp post. Take a seat on one of those benches, it doesn't matter which. You should be sitting on one of the benches in the small courtyard of Shepherd's Market. From your seat on the bench, have a look around this courtyard. Quiet spots like this in Mayfair were the front lines in the Cold War. They were secret battlegrounds where the enemy could be all around and you wouldn't know it. Even today, you might not be alone. After the Cold War ended, I used to train new officers in this area for MI5. We could have teams of five or ten people operating in a place like this, and the public wouldn't be any the wiser. But your mission today takes place in the year 1951. The Cold War has been raging for four years, and Moscow has had the upper hand in every battle so far. British agents behind the Iron Curtain are disappearing. They're being rounded up and executed by Soviet spy catchers. The chiefs in London are beginning to suspect that there's a traitor in their ranks. And they're absolutely right. It's you. Today you're walking in the shoes of a British spy called Guy Burgess. You've worked for MI5 and MI6, and you have access to the most sensitive of British secrets. You're charming, witty, and widely liked within British intelligence. But you have a big secret one known only to a handful of senior Russian spies. You are the Soviet mole inside British intelligence. But MI5 spy catchers are onto you. You suspect that you're being followed and it's only a matter of time before you're arrested. So it's time to run. Today, I'm going to help you set up a meeting with your contact at the Russian embassy. 
If you can arrange this meeting without the spy catcher cottoning on, then your Russian contact will smuggle you safely to Moscow, and you'll live out your days in the socialist dream that is Stalin's Russia. You'll also complete today's mission. So let's get started. From your seat on the bench, look back the way you came at those red telephone boxes you passed as you entered the courtyard. Walk up to the phone box that's nearest to the benches. When you reach it, open the door and go inside. When I was on the run from MI5, I made all my calls from phone boxes like this. I know they're not the most fragrant places on earth, so I'll be quick. You're going to leave a message in here for your Russian contact. So take the newspaper and on the very back page, write the word OASIS. Write it clearly, OASIS, in big letters. When you've written your code word on the newspaper, fold it up and place it on top of the phone unit, just above the handset. Make sure you leave the pen as well. I'll repeat, leave the pen and paper here in the phone box. This is called a dead drop. So when you've made the dead drop, walk out of the door and back into the small courtyard of Shepherd's Market. Start walking, slowly, casually, on past the benches. Take a right at the end of the courtyard. So don't go straight on, down that small alley, but turn right and keep walking. Slow down here. There's a narrow alley coming up on your left. It runs between two restaurants. Turn left down here and walk to the end of the alley. But move cautiously. The spy catcher could be nearby and you mustn't let them see you. Stop at the end of this passage, just before it opens up into the road. Just across the street and slightly to your left, there's a pub. It has large front windows and dark blue paintwork. If there's anyone outside that pub, it's crucial they don't see you. So try and find a spot where you can see the pub without being seen yourself. That place is a classic MI5 hangout, known to the senior officers as Base Camp 2. Even in my time, it was full of officers enjoying liquid lunches. And you, Mr. Burgess, you know the place very well indeed. It's where you charm senior officers, glean details about operations, pick up gossip that can be used for blackmail. You give all this to your Russian contact, who cables it back to Moscow. The best bits are taken directly to Stalin's desk. You'll be well received in Russia if you can just get there without being caught. Now, if the coast is clear, it's time to move on. Turn right out of the alley and start walking along the sidewalk. Almost immediately, you'll come across a small street. Cross straight over and keep going the same way you're heading now. As you walk, listen carefully. After any covert work, like leaving a secret message, the first thing any spy does is check for surveillance. Are you being followed? When you reach this small street in front of you, cross over and stop on the far side and I'll show you what to do. Straight ahead of you, on the corner, there's a pub called the Shepherd's Tavern. Stop outside it and approach the pub's right-hand window. Look at the window as if you're searching for a friend inside. But rather than looking through the window, focus on the glass itself. You're using the reflection to look back down the street the way you came. This is an old trick still used by spies to check their tails. 
Without looking back, can you see anyone familiar down the street? Still without looking back, leave the pub window and continue walking along the sidewalk so the pub is on your right. The same way you were going before I stopped you. It's crucial that you don't keep looking over your shoulder. It seems counterintuitive, but when you're being followed, looking around nervously is the last thing you should do. It tells anyone watching that you have something to hide. And if MI5 thinks you have a secret, I can assure you, they'll go to any lengths to find out what it is. So the best defence against spy catchers is to lull their suspicions. Act naturally, don't show signs of training. That's why you use windows and reflections. They allow you to check for surveillance without appearing to do so. Okay, there's a small passage coming up. Continue straight through it and out onto the street beyond. Once you're through the passage ahead, turn right and keep following the road. So it's right out of this passage. Then you'll see the road curls round to the left. Stick with it until I tell you to turn off. The big grey tower block looming ahead of you, slightly to your left, is the Hilton Hotel, a great spot for quiet, anonymous meetings. But that's not where you're meeting your Russian contact. You're heading to a pre-arranged meeting place not far from here. To get there, you'll have to walk on busier roads than this, so spotting the spycatcher won't be easy. There's a right turn coming up. The road you want is called Derby Street. You should see a sign saying Derby Street on the wall in front of you. It's on the brickwork between the first and second floor windows. When you're at the far end of Derby Street, don't go out onto the sidewalk. It's not safe around here. The spy catcher could be close. Your rendezvous point is nearby, and if you lead the spy catcher there, then the game's up. So move with caution. If you do get spotted, the important thing is to remain calm and for goodness sake, avoid eye contact. Okay, stop here, just before the corner, and do not step out onto the street in front of you. Find a safe spot and look across the road. Do you see the building on the far side, the one with cream lower floors and red brick upper floors? You know that building well, Mr Burgess, because it's the Cold War headquarters of MI5. From your position just off the street, look up at the middle floors. Do you see anyone looking back? You should hope not, because right now those rooms are full of intelligence officers combing through phone transcripts, poring over archive documents, each officer desperate for proof that you, Guy Burgess, are a Soviet mole. Years from now, when your treachery is long confirmed, they will turn on each other. Accusations of betrayal will end careers and ruin lives. Eventually, even the Director General himself will come under suspicion of being a Soviet mole. At the height of the Cold War, one of the most powerful spies in Britain will be interrogated for days in a safe house not far from here. Yes, news of your betrayal will traumatise MI5. But they haven't figured it out just yet, so there's still time for you to flee the country. Now, if all goes well with your Russian contact later on, today will be your last day in London. So why not have one last look through the front doors of your old office? If the coast is clear, cross the road and walk to your old office. Stand just to the left of the front doors. Are you safely across the road? 
If so, stop here outside the revolving glass door with the words Leckenfield House in silver letters just above it. You've strolled merrily through this entrance many times, Mr Burgess, your briefcase crammed with secret documents. When the security guards asked you what was in the case, you always told them it was stuffed full of state secrets, and they always laughed. Why wouldn't they? The idea that you could be a secret communist is indeed laughable. You're too fun, too upper class, the acquaintance of prime ministers and aristocracy. And yet, you've been working for the Soviets since your days as a student, long before you ever joined British intelligence. That's why you've never seen yourself as a traitor. You were a communist long before you were recruited by the British secret services. Now, as you face the doors to your old office, turn to your left. Start walking along the street. So, as you go, the old MI5 HQ should be on your right. There's a right-hand turn coming up. Turn there and continue walking along the sidewalk. By now, your Russian contact will have found your message in the phone box, so it's almost time for your meeting. Keep walking up this street. You're close to your meeting point, but before the meeting can happen, you need to get the all-clear signal from your Russian contact. This means picking up a message like the one you left in the phone box. But you have to do it quickly, because if the spy catcher sees you with a the newspaper, they'll finally have proof that you're working for the Russians. So listen closely. Straight ahead of you, on a street corner, there's a black lamppost. If you don't see it yet, you soon will. When you're level with that lamppost, stop walking and turn to your right. You'll see a row of black railings that line the sidewalk. Down at foot level, jammed between the bars of those railings, there will be a newspaper left by your contact. Grab the newspaper from the railings and get moving again. You must be quick here. You don't know who's watching. When you have the newspaper, get moving down the street, the same way you were going before. Keep the newspaper under your arm and don't look around too much. If you're arrested with this newspaper, then you'll be convicted of espionage and you might spend the rest of your life in a prison cell. So act naturally. That's it. Okay, there's a small road coming up called Hill Street. Before you cross it, stop for a moment at the street corner. So don't cross over. I'm going to show you another trick for checking your tail. Before you cross the road in front of you and continue along South Audley Street, stop on the corner and check for traffic. As you turn your head, steal a glance back down the street, to your left. Just a quick scan of the sidewalk. Don't look for too long, otherwise they'll recognize the maneuver. Then, when it's safe, cross the road and continue the way you were going. You've just executed what we call the long look back, pretending to look for traffic while actually checking for surveillance. It's a useful manoeuvre, but as with all of these things, you have to be careful. Surveillance officers know these tricks as well as you do. If you look back too long or too often, they clock it and you'll fail your mission. Keep walking along this street. At the next turning, you're going right. But before you turn off, have a look at the back page of the newspaper you picked up by the lamppost. You'll see a code word left by your contact. Memorize the words and keep hold of the newspaper. You don't want it to be picked up and used as evidence against you. The small road in front of you is called South Street. Cross over it and then take a right. So you're turning right off the main road. You should be walking on South Street on the left-hand sidewalk. 
If you're on the right track, you'll see the red Art Deco tiles of T. Good & Company on your left. Take a moment to appreciate them. Because if it all goes to plan, you'll be in Soviet Moscow by tomorrow night, and the decor there is slightly more restrained than on these rich Mayfair streets. Now, continue walking along this street. I'll let you know when it's time to turn off. Your career as a spy is almost over. Either you'll be arrested by the spy catcher, or the Russians will smuggle you to Moscow. Whatever happens, you can be proud of your work in support of the communist cause. Collectively, you and your fellow double agents, and there are indeed others, have sent hundreds of British spies to their deaths. They were enemy soldiers as far as you were concerned, and they would have done the same to you if only they were as clever. You've done commendable work for Soviet Russia, and now it's time to escape. Good luck. You're turning left soon. I'll let you know when. Okay, slow down. There's a left turn coming up and it's easy to miss. You're looking for a narrow path on your left. It runs between two red brick buildings. Once you've found it, head up there and keep walking. You'll pass through the gates to Mount Street Gardens, where you'll rendezvous with your contact from the embassy. You've almost made it. Continue through the gates. In front of you, the path splits in three directions. You take the middle branch. So you should walk just to the left of the little bronze giraffe standing in the stone flower pot. You're heading for the centre of Mount Street Gardens, so keep walking. Follow the circular path slowly round to the right. Then take the first right turn off the circular path. So turn right here and walk slowly along the benches, looking at their plaques. The bench you want is very close, so don't go far. Remember the code words, Oasis and Serenity. They'll tell you which bench you're to wait on. When you find it, sit down. You're about to learn whether you'll escape to Moscow or be captured and convicted of espionage. Once you're seated on the bench, wait for your companions. It's time to find out whether it's the spy or the spy catcher who completed their mission. If the spycatcher has two pictures of Guy Burgess, including one that clearly shows him holding the newspaper, then the spycatcher wins. But if there are no photos, then Burgess walks free and he wins the game. Press pause now and assess the evidence with your companions. Unpause me once both of you are ready to move on to our final stop. Hi again, hopefully you now know who won the spy game. Back in 1951, Guy Burgess won hands down. He outfoxed MI5 and escaped to Moscow, causing an international scandal. But now that you're back in the present day, why not let me know how you got on? Take a selfie together, post it on your social media. You can post the photo without leaving the app. If you won the spy game, I want to see a broad grin. And if you lost, look appropriately sad. Be sure to tag at Detour so I can see it too. And while you do this, take the opportunity to resync your audio. So hit pause now to resync and grab a selfie. Okay, it's time to head to our final stop. It's a classic Mayfair hotel with a fabulous bar. It's also the scene of one of the most macabre spy stories in London's recent history. 
Stand up from the bench. When you are standing up, turn to your left. Start walking straight ahead, keeping the row of benches on your left, and follow the path as it curves round to the left. Up ahead of you, you can see a junction in the path with an ornamental water fountain at its centre. Continue straight past it and through the gates beyond. It's time to leave Mount Street Gardens. So continue straight on towards the street. I'll meet you up ahead on the sidewalk. At the next rubbish bin you pass, discard the newspaper. You won't need it anymore. Stop walking when you reach the sidewalk. This is Mount Street. Take a look down the road to your left. Isn't the pink terracotta brickwork beautiful? Mayfair has been this way for centuries, rarefied and luxurious, the polar opposite of the Soviet Union. And yet Guy Burgess, raised in this luxury, took enormous risks to try and destroy it. Following his escape, he lived out his days in a small flat in Moscow, eventually drinking himself to death alone at the age of 52. Stand with your back to the path you just came up. So you are looking out across the street. Now turn to your right and start walking along the sidewalk. Nowadays, spy chiefs still lose sleep over threats lurking within their own ranks, but it's not double agents they're afraid of. It's people like me, whistleblowers. There's a cigar shop coming up on your right. Stop when you reach it. When you're outside the cigar shop, stop and have a look in windows. You'll see lots of Winston Churchill mugs and ashtrays. It's not on account of his love of cigars, but it's because he used to live right above this shop. I am also a fan of cigars. They remind me that even the cold, calculating brains that run spy agencies are capable of being rather silly. In the 1960s, the CIA came up with hundreds of plans to assassinate Fidel Castro: poisoned fountain pens, vice in his diving suit, and famously, an exploding cigar. It was all a bit James Bond. So earlier I told you about a British plot to kill Colonel Gaddafi, who heard about it first. David was MI5, like me. We started going out when I was a junior officer. He liked to joke that our eyes met across a crowded operations room. David told me about the plan to kill Gaddafi, and, and God, it was a terrible plan. The spies were acting without the permission of the foreign secretary, which made the operation illegal under UK law. The idea was to pay a terrorist group to blow up Gaddafi's car. The terrorists got the wrong car, and several bystanders were killed as a result. That's the thing about these plans. It's one thing to rig a cigar to blow someone's head off, but you can never be entirely certain who's going to pick the thing up and light it. As you face the cigar shop, turn to your left. And start walking down the street. There was no real doubt from the Gaddafi plot. Our government had funded terrorism, and they were getting away with it. David and I couldn't believe it. We'd seen so many violations of the law by the intelligence services, so much lying to the politicians who were supposed to be watching over us. But this was the final straw. Stop here for a moment while I give you some instructions. Turn to your left and look across the street. On the far side, on the corner slightly to the left, there's a red brick hotel called the Conard. You should see the flags hanging above its entrance directly ahead of you. When it's safe, cross over the road and walk to the right of the Conard. So you're going under those flags, and the hotel itself should be on your left. Our final stop is another posh Mayfair hotel, and it's not far off. Once you're safely across the road, continue walking straight ahead. 
go past the hotel and keep walking with it on your left. After months of talking it over, David and I decided to blow the whistle and talk to the press. We thought the public deserved to know what their spies were up to. It was a terrifying decision. Whistleblowers in the UK get at least two years in prison for talking to the media. But if we didn't act, we knew the spies would get away with it again. There is a small road in front of you. Continue straight over it, the same way you're going now. Our final stop is coming up. After weeks of planning, we leaked the Gaddafi plot to a newspaper and fled the country. We lived on the run for a month, mainly in France, paying for everything with cash and speaking to our families on payphones. But you can't live like that forever. After three years of living in exile, David voluntarily returned to the UK to face the music. Back in London, he was convicted in a secret court and sent to prison. He took sole responsibility for blowing the whistle and the case against me was dropped. David took the blame for both of us and did two stints in prison. You're turning left at this corner, so follow the street round to the left and keep walking. Becoming a whistleblower has a huge personal cost. Since we went public with the Gaddafi affair, David and I have lost any guarantee of privacy. When I worked for MI5, I used to hear phone calls where targets would say things like, oh, don't talk about that, MI5 might be listening. It was almost funny because two minutes later, they'd usually be back on the same subject anyway. But nowadays it's me saying that sort of thing. Closing down conversations on the phone, deflecting from sensitive topics, always worried that someone else is tuning in. Perhaps you think I'm being paranoid. Well, wait until the final stop. It's a brutal reminder of what can happen to spies who get on the wrong side of their old agencies. Ahead of you, there's a building with large flagpoles above its entrance and grand stone columns running down its facade. That's the Millennium Hotel, the final stop on this detour. Stop when you reach the entrance. You should be standing outside the front door of the Millennium Hotel, our final stop. Not long ago, a well-known whistleblower was murdered right here in this hotel. I'll tell you about it when you're inside, but please don't ask the staff about the murder. It was a dark moment for the hotel, and understandably they don't like to talk about it. In fact, the staff can get into trouble if they do. Now, before you go in, some instructions. In a moment, I want you to press pause and take off your headphones. Walk through the front door of the Millennium Hotel and turn left you'll find a lovely bar with very welcoming staff. It's called the Pine Bar. Head in there and get yourself a drink. Or if you're not thirsty, have a seat in the lobby, or there are benches in the park across the street. But really, it's much better to get a drink. Guy Burgess certainly would. And anyway, at least one of you deserves it. So once you're sitting in the bar with drink in hand, put your headphones back on and press play. So press pause now. Okay, you should be sitting in the bar of the Millennium Hotel, enjoying a well-earned drink, especially if you completed your mission earlier. In 2006, three Russian spies met in this room for a drink. They'd all started their careers working for the KGB, the Soviet Union's most important spy agency. In theory, they were all retired at this point, but as former KGB man Vladimir Putin says, there's no such thing as a former KGB man. At some point during their time here, one of the three Russian spies swallowed a huge dose of radioactive poison. It was a very rare chemical that had somehow found its way into his tea. He fell ill that night and died some weeks afterwards. His drinking buddies, meanwhile, were long gone, safely back in Russia. 
How's your drink, by the way? The victim was a man called Alexander Litvinenko, a Russian intelligence officer who'd quit to become a whistleblower. He became a vocal critic of the Russian regime, often denouncing Russian intelligence in the media. It was clear he'd made the same calculation I had. The louder you are, the more public your profile, the less likely it is that someone will try and bump you off. Spy agencies hate publicity, so the safest place for a whistleblower is in the public eye. That's why I found it so shocking that Litvinenko was killed in such a public manner. He was poisoned right here in Mayfair, under the noses of British intelligence. Even the James Bond types couldn't save him. He was given a slow-acting poison, a lingering death intended to make a point. You make dangerous enemies when you expose a spy agency's dirty laundry to the world. But without whistleblowers coming forward, we wouldn't have a clue what really happens in those places. It's true that spies need secrecy to do their jobs, but the public also needs to be sure that the spies are really on their side. And I can tell you from experience, that isn't something we can take for granted. Thank you for your time today, and I'm sorry if I put you off your drink. Have a good day and keep your eyes open. You never know who's watching.